I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Rafinha bundling at past Mohamed Salisu and hooking the ball in of the podcast. And today I'm joined by the Fraser Forster flapping at the ball and patting it down into the six-yard box of the podcast, Darren Driver. And finally, for Jack Harrison walking into the net of the podcast, it's Adam. Adam, how are you? I'm all right, thanks, John. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's only I've only just realised just how croaky my voice is this morning, so you're going to have to bear with that, I'm afraid. But how did you enjoy the game yesterday? Because you were there. Yeah, the, it was a weird one in the sense of the crowd. Like I think that's the quietest I've heard us, and I think maybe there were quite a few nervy people in the ground. But it was good to be back. I haven't been to a game for a while, so in that sense, I enjoyed it. But the football wasn't maybe the best, <laughs> and I guess we're going to talk about that, Darren. How about you? Yes, I'm I'm well-ish, thank you. I've um, had the dreaded Rona all week, so um, this is actually my first time talking to a human being that isn't my wife uh, since last Tuesday, which is which is nice for her and for me. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I watched the game at home yesterday, as as you know, John. I was supposed to be sat next to you yesterday, but um, unfortunately, wasn't able to do that. So it was. Uh, I'm sure you got a really nice commentary from my brother-in-law who will have just prattled away to himself quite happily for 90 minutes, I'm sure. And uh, I can see the little nod and smile there. Um, and um, yeah, but the game itself, well, you know, we'll, we'll come on to it. It, it was, I don't think, as, as Adam's alluded to, I don't think it was the most enjoyable uh, game of football you're ever likely to witness at Elland Road or anywhere else for that matter. Um, but yeah, a lot, there, I think there are some interesting bits and pieces for us to pull out and talk about today. Um, but thanks for mentioning the the only goalkeeping mistake um, <laughs> in the game uh, from your in your introduction there, John. I'm sure we'll, again we'll come on to talk about about uh, the Southampton goal later. Yes, we will. But before we do, just a quick word of reminder about our Patreon channel. Patreon is a platform which allows us to put out bonus content for subscribers. We put out loads of stuff on there. There's bonus podcasts. There is also bonus videos as well, video analysis. I usually do a tactical video analysis of the game, and I know that Josh is planning a video analysis on Liam Cooper for this week's um, video from him. So if those things sound interesting to you and do head across to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we but we're not here to talk about the patreon we are here to talk about the southampton game so let's get over to our game summary so this is the game summary where i just talk through that major shifts in the game narrative really so obviously we're talking about a 1-1 draw with southampton elland road actually just looked up the stats bomb xg for the game and they have it down as 1.1 to Leeds and 1.7 XG to Southampton which maybe surprised me a little bit because I thought most of the other outlets had it a little bit more similar in terms of the the numbers but let's talk about the game itself Jesse Marsh stuck with the 4-2-3-1 system that he started favouring uh, and the only real change was that Liam Cooper was brought in to replace Pascal Strauch 
Calvin Phillips was on the bench, so we knew he was going to come on. And allegedly, Joe Gellhart only came on uh, in the second half because he'd missed some trainings with a COVID-positive test midweek that they think was a false positive. So he didn't maybe wasn't quite up to the level of fitness that they would have wanted to play him from the start. Anyway, Leeds started brightly enough in the first half. We looked aggressive in attack in particular. We perhaps didn't generate a lot of chances from our threat, but we did create some early on. I guess the notable one is Diego Llorente missing a close-range header from a corner. When the Leeds goal did come, it felt like the momentum had been slowing a little, maybe. Uh, but Rafinha managed to, as we've said, bundle the ball past Salisu, uh, fly to cross into the box, which caused Fraser Forster to panic, and he knocked the ball down into the feet of the onrushing Jack Harrison. From then on, Leeds seemed to lose their way a little bit, um, and this did carry on into the second half. I think Southampton came up fairly strongly, particularly for the first 15-20 minutes, uh, and then an inevitable James Ward-Prowse free kick levelled things up and and Southampton did turn the screw a little bit at that point. I thought we did get a little bit more threatening later on in the second half, maybe because Southampton were happy to accept a draw. Um, But on balance, I think that draw did feel like largely a fair result and uh, another point towards safety as well. So I think most people will be happy from fans both sides. Anyway, that's the game summary. Let's move on to the interrogation. So the interrogation is a section where I ask the guys five questions about the game so that we can try and get a little bit of a sense of what happened in the game. So let's kick off with a big one from the offs. Darren, did anything tactically interesting happen in that game? I don't think it was the most tactically fascinating game um, I've ever seen. I thought largely it was two teams with quite similar systems. There were slightly, obviously slight differences in the way that they played, but but largely I'd say that the headline for this for me is that you had two teams with very similar particularly defensive systems really kind of working and and really cancelling each other out mainly because of the the congestion in central areas that happened um throughout throughout the game like Southampton really were trying to trying to make sure that they were cutting off through balls for us we were trying to make sure that we pressed in a more compact way um, than, than we have been doing and, and really that meant that I felt that the game was lacking in both in tactical intrigue and also in quality as a result of that because because really no, neither team was able to get into any sort of um, attacking rhythm or process or flow such as they are in, in both of the teams. I think probably the most interesting thing that I was able to observe in it was that I felt that we did take one and I know this is touching on a question that we're going to come on to later so I'm not going to go too deeply into it but I felt like we took a very definite step away from Bielsa's football and more towards Jesse Marsh's um, football and, and that, that was the noticeable tactical shift for me. Um, and then I think really the, the, the interesting thing that really happened in the second half, you know, we, Leeds went ahead, as you said, and, and, then, and then Southampton took over. And then it really felt to me that from 60 minutes, exactly 60 minutes, because I looked out for it this morning, they really stopped having any significant attacking intent, decided that they were going to take the draw and and that meant that the owners shifted back to Leeds to try and kind of force things. And really that's what Leeds did try to do. They did try and force things, but without any great tactical process or attacking process that would enable us to get get um any any decent chances from them. So really I felt like it was overall a pretty poor game, I have to say. Yeah, interesting that you mentioned that both teams were playing like similar tactical approaches and obviously it's worth mentioning that Ralph Hasenhurtl has spent a lot of time in the Red yeah. Bull system, uh, albeit with, I think, only one team in RB Leipzig. But um, I think the that meant that he had a good sense of what can cause the Leipzig, uh, sorry, the Red Bull system problems. And, and he sort of enacted those sorts of things. So keeping it compact, playing in a 4-4-2 diamond, uh, cut, cutting off passing lanes, going man for man against their our back line in particular, well, against the, the two centre-backs and then the pivot player dropping in, just so that you can't get that easy build-up through the centre. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about the about the, the sort of combination of Bielsa ball and Marsh ball that we are seeing in games. But um, one of the notable things for me in the ground was people getting annoyed at uh, particularly Melier not playing the ball out to fullbacks from the off, um, which is I think what you, what you're talking about about there being a, a clear shift away from trying to do the Bielsa stuff. Um, Adam, what about you? Is there anything that you wanted to throw in here? You've completely stolen my point, John. I'm going to be honest. The Melier point was exactly what I was going to go into, and I think it it definitely is something that's tactical. It's definitely something he's been asked to do, and there were a lot of fans getting frustrated that he wasn't not just playing out to the fullbacks or, or the wingers which we did a lot under Bielsa, but 
quickly doing it. He held onto the ball and he was often telling people to calm down. And I don't think that was just the players. I think that was kind of the fans too. I think he, he's been told we want to get the ball centrally as much as we can. And, and there were quite a few times when he does look for Click or Rodrigo who are dropping in as an option and then we would lose the ball because it was quite congested and fans did get frustrated by that. But I, I think that is something he's been asked to do more now um, because Dallas was an option quite often and he didn't look for him. He, he ignored him and then fans were screaming at him. Um, but it was, it was interesting you mentioned the 60th minute as well when um, Ramey was the player that went off around that time. So I was wondering if you both thought that that was maybe the reason for that. I think Diallo was a lot worse in the pivot than, than Romeo. He, he wasn't really up to much. I thought they'd already set, sat Kyle Walker-Peters by that point and that, that that change was probably just more about confirming their tactical approach rather than being the change in and of itself. That's just how I saw it. Might, you know, that might not be correct. but Yeah, I think I think that certainly did play into it. I think when, you're, when you're happy to shift while you're defensive player and and the player who I think is actually quite important to their system when you're happy to shift them out and and move the the midfield around change the balance of the midfield it sort of does suggest that they're happy to sort of accept where things were going at that point uh, as well I'm going to change the the running order um, at this point because I'm going to flip question two and three around for you guys just so that you've got a heads up um, because I think it makes sense for us to talk immediately about the Bielsa ball marsh ball um, hybrid that we, we've talked about in previous topics so uh, so previous podcast. So one of the topics that keeps being brought up is why we still see seem to be seeing a combination of Bielsa ball and Marsh ball in our games. Whether or not that's something that we'll see longer term. Whether or not that's something that is carrying on going. Um, so yeah, it might be worth spelling this out a little bit, Darren. Um, what do you think that we mean by you know this hybrid of Bielsa ball and Marsh ball, and, and how do we distinguish between which is which? Uh, and what are your thoughts on the topic of like the 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 sort of portmanteau of these two systems together is it because we've talked a lot about them being fairly contradictory systems in many respects so um i thought it was really noticeable actually in, in the build-up to our goal um how there was there was a real there was a really clear exact hybrid because what you had what happened in the lead-up to our goal was you had Mate's click making a run into a half space a diagonal run into a half space which was almost exactly from the bielsa playbook um, and then he picks up the ball in that space, he feeds Rafinha, and what he would have done under Bielsa, and this is this is where it becomes the hybrid really, what he would have done under Bielsa is he would have continued supporting Rafinha, trying to find space, trying to make sure that he was an option for Rafinha, and what he did yesterday was he trotted back into the double pivot instead and just kind of left Rafinha to his own devices, and I thought that was a really clear indicator actually of, 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 of something where there's, there's been a shift from, yeah, what, what we mean by playing a, a, a hybrid really is that we're playing that, that, that up to now we've been playing probably something that looks a bit more like Bielsa ball in attacking play which is about stretching the pitch wide and trying to trying to um, create create space by stretching the pitch wide and making you know lots of third man runs and and trying to get in behind the fullbacks um, f- through the wide areas and um, there were times, definitely times when we did that yesterday. But what was really noticeable was that it was it was being triggered by individual players. Um, so it would so Stuart Dallas did it a few times from left back. Um, Mateus Click did it a few times by running into that right hand sided half space and and trying to create the spaces there. But but like trying to trying to stretch the pitch as much as possible in Biel, under Bielsa's system. Um, and I noticed yesterday that we really didn't do that anywhere near as much. It was much more about trying to stay compact, trying to stay as a unit. Try, and and one of the things that we used to do in in Bielsa's time was obviously we would stretch the pitch as big as possible. But then we would stay stretched. They would we wouldn't make any attempt really to become compact. It would be about following individual players into their areas whereas at the moment what you see when we lose the ball and we do lose the ball frequently enough to notice it <laughs> is that um, we will immediately try and get back into the 4-2-3-1 shape in a, in, in a compact unit front to back and, and, and in the width and yesterday I, I really noticed that, that, that actually we were more compact front to back than we have been at any point and that meant that we were exposed in behind a couple of times like actually in the lead up to our goal Liam Cooper nearly very nearly gets got out um, in in behind as a result of playing much higher up the pitch than 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 we've been used to, um, so yeah, it's really what we're doing is I think we're going to notice as the season goes on and as we move into next season we will see much much less of 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 Leeds stretching the pitch on the width and trying to create space that way and it will much more become about an attacking unit moving together and I think the other thing that I'm really noticing is that yesterday it was much more noticeable that by and large we attacked with four players. 
Whereas I think print, whereas primarily before we would have attacked with five, six, sometimes even seven players getting involved in all the attack and trying to fill all the spaces, where it's much more not about that now. It's much more about getting the ball into a dangerous area, trying to converge in it, and then getting the ball to those four dangerous attacking players. And I think I think that's where you're going to see us moving towards and away from some of the um, playing the wide areas. Now, because we've got a lot of wingers in our squad, we've got Rafinha, we've got Harrison, we've got Dan James, uh, we've got um, Somerville when he comes on. Naturally, those players are dropping into wider areas to receive the ball, and particularly Rafinha was doing that late on yesterday, I thought, and that was why we were getting him behind uh, a couple of times into, into dangerous areas. But I think I think that you will see the process continue whereby the team narrows um, as, as the rest of the season goes on and it'll become much less about being a hybrid and much more about trying to reach this idealised version of, of Jesse Marsh's football. So that's kind of how I see the differences and where we're at at the moment. Adam, I'll, I'll come to you on this then. Obviously, I, I agree with Darren all the way here but obviously towards the end of the game I think we slipped back into Bielsa ball a little bit more um, as the game sort of drew out so maybe the last 20 minutes in particular uh, Leeds, Leeds were sort of going for it a little bit more perhaps and and I think naturally their tendency is to go for into the wide areas more uh, because not only have, have they been playing that way for a while but also like a lot of those players feel probably happier in space so particularly Jack Harrison I'm thinking and I mean Rafinha I think we're playing quite central but even Rafinha I think in the last 10 minutes or so was was just being pushed into into a lot of wide areas uh, quite a lot as well so what's your sort of general take on this and 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 how do you feel about the fact that we do seem to be seeing this sort of um this sort of uh, mixture of different styles and it's hard to know like how much Jesse Marsh wants that to be the case how much he's just willing to allow the team to to sort of do that when the when the game sort of stretches towards the end. I was going to ask you that actually um, about whether he wants that to happen or is he's allowing it to happen or whatever. But yeah, we definitely did see Rafinha late on going back to the sort of I want to get 1v1 via fullback and try get a cutback going. And we did that a little bit throughout the game as well, but it was it was more sort of uh, obvious late on that that was happening consistently. Adam, sorry, just before you go on, can I just say actually that one of the things that I did notice that when when either Jack Harrison or Rafinha did get around fullbacks yesterday. They were isolated with the fullback. There was no support runner a lot of the time, and I thought that was quite noticeable as well. I forgot to mention it earlier, so carry on. Sorry. Um, yeah, there's also another thing with build-up, though, as well, where there were times when we did just slip back into sort of some Bielsa things where clicks and ailing them on the right side in particular were playing like quick one-twos, getting the ball out, and then Rafinha had a run at a fullback, and that is more Bielsa than it is Marsh. Um, so it's still not quite there, and it's not consistent. And the thing is that when you're in that shape, and, and we did have a bit of a discussion about this a few weeks, about me and Darren actually, we're not ready to snap back into the into the counter press all the time. So it is a problem that it is a hybrid, and I think that this is going to have to be something that improves with maybe a, pre- a preseason and uh, going into next season with, with some, maybe some new personnel as well. It might might improve it, but we're not quite there yet. But the, there's a couple of times when I, of note that I, I noted down. One was actually the Cooper one that you mentioned, Darren, and how high he was and and the header was pretty funny. But the other one was that there was a moment when we had kind of like a cluster of players uh, in attack and uh, they were they were all sort of in the same 10, 15 yard space. And if Southampton had actually got the ball out there, we were exposed to a 4v4 on the counter. But luckily, Forshaw was able to snap into some sort of counter press before anyone else was able to get into shape and he won the ball back. But moments like that, we, we talked about sort of width maybe killing us and, and Walker Peters in particular was was having a real good game yesterday and was finding a lot of space wide. Um, but this is also probably a problem as well. If, if they do manage to beat the counter-press, we're just going to be exposed to, to transitions and counter-attacks. Um, so I wondered what you both thought about that. Yeah, I think it's worth maybe reiterating why it is that... The- we talk. I, I mentioned that these two systems are potentially contradictory, and and that is that, as Darren's mentioned, like we're trying to keep the ball central when we're building up because it makes our lives a lot easier counter pressing when we lose the ball. In a Bielsa system, that's not a concern because you're doing a sort of man oriented press. So the idea is that you create a lot of space, and then as soon as the play breaks down, you then get close closer to your marking responsibility. Um, and the problem is, is that if you start committing players out into wide areas, and if you lose one, if you lose the ball in that wide area, you can't counter press because your player is disconnected from the rest of the the team who will be more central. 
Uh, and then the other thing, the other thing is that um, you you kind of want to encourage losing the ball in the central space as well. So if you're out in a wide area, if you lose the ball, then then you're you're not really helping the team. And the issue isn't necessarily losing the ball; it's about losing the ball in the right place. So one thing that you will have noticed is that we turned the ball over a lot. And at the ground yesterday, people were complaining about that, um, and people are complaining about the fact that we're not able to possess the ball. Now that's because. To a certain extent, Jesse Marsh doesn't care about possessing the ball. Jesse Marsh is not worried about possession. Jerry, Jesse Marsh is worried about winning the ball back quickly after losing possession in a more dangerous area and then making the most of the chaos that ensues. So the, the reason why these two systems, I think, are contradictory is because with Bielsa ball, you're wanting to get the ball into wide areas, into space, and then you're going to try and hit the box and get as many players into the box as possible. In Marsh ball, you're trying to get the ball into what we call zone 14, which is the which is the basically the space just in front of the penalty area. You're trying to get it in between the, the square of the the opposition's two centre midfielders and their centre-backs. Uh, and you're wanting to pin their centre-backs back with your strikers, so you're wanting to stretch them backwards, have them running backwards, and then get the ball into the space to your tens um, to, in, in between their centre midfielders and their centre defenders. And from there, the idea is that you should be able to you should be able to attack pretty dangerously. If the ball breaks down, you've got hopefully the structure to then be able to counter-press around the ball quickly and win it back. And again, do the same sort of thing again. So there's a few things to say. I think one of them is that that the, the issue, the reason why Jesse Marsh won't want us to be playing Bielsa ball stuff is because it it works against that. You're moving players away from where you want them to be pressing, and you're moving the ball away from where you want to be pressing. Um, and then the other thing I think to say is that um, I think that at this point, even now, I don't think that we're attacking particularly well per Marsh ball. Um, so one of the things that I noticed yesterday is that we are trying to do stuff, but it, we, we, in terms of like the structure when the ball breaks down, we're not in a good structure to be able to to counter press. So there's still a long a long way to go on that front. Well, let's move on to um, the next question. So uh, Adam, we've just had a two long week break since the Wolves game, so I think that probably explains why we've seen some of these tactical changes that Darren's mentioned. Do you think that the sorts of improvements that we've seen were the ones that you expected from that late length of break? Do you think that we should have seen more in terms of the counter-pressing, more in terms of the effectiveness of the attacking? Um, how how happy were you with the development of the last two weeks, Adam? I think that the first sort of 30-35 minutes is probably the best we've counter-pressed since the Leicester first half. So I think there's definitely been improvements in that sense. Um, but also... I wasn't sure whether it was actually us counter-pressing really well or uh, Southampton just weren't in the game quite yet and they were quite sloppy to start with. We kind of discussed this last night, John, and I'm still unsure as to whether it's kind of a result of our counter-press or if it's actually just them not quite there in the game yet and they're kind of waiting to settle in. Um, and then they grew into it sort of after that. Um, and I'm, I'm still undecided, really. The other thing, though, that um, is still frustrating me is this season under Bielsa, we started to cut the ball back less than we had in in previous season under him, and I, I feel like that was probably a system thing, just breaking down slightly. But yesterday we're still doing it a lot. We've touched on it already, but we were doing it a lot, and most of our good attacks come from a player getting one v one with the fullback and crossing the ball back, even if it's low or high. Um, so in that sense, we haven't really improved, even if some of the counter pressing's improved and some of the off ball stuff's improved. Some of the on-ball stuff is still very Bielsa-like, so I maybe would have liked to have seen more improvement in that sense um, from the two-week break, where a lot of players are coming back from injuries as well, and we were almost at full strength. So, uh, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more there. I think it's a difficult question to answer because we just don't know who was around, who was fit, who was this, who was that, who had COVID, who didn't, all, the, all those kind of questions. I just don't know the answer to those. But I suppose what I would say is that um, if... If Jesse Marsh had had two weeks with all of his squad and um, like un- unbroken and hadn't been able to implement more than he had yesterday, I'd be disappointed uh, because I, I, I do feel like like I I probably think it's probably not truly that difficult to get your squad to be compact and press around the ball. Like obviously, it takes some coordination and it takes some work. But I, but I also probably don't think it's like rocket science. I, I think that that with with a degree of time and you know a, a bit of focus, you should be able to you should be able to get them them doing that. So I'm I'm I suppose the jury's a bit still out on that for me as to as to like whether we're seeing 
progress which is rapid enough. Um, but at the same time, I do acknowledge that it's a high-pressure situation, that results are probably more important than performances, that, that to a degree you've got to let the players do what they're comfortable with in certain phases of the game in order to kind of get the results. Because like most of our goals have come through like more Bielsa-ish situations, um, albeit with a with with an with a side order of even more chaos um, than, than than we were creating at various points this season. So, yeah, I, I think for for me, I, the the jury's still out. We have got another break coming up, um, so we'll be again be interested to see whether there's any more progress. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think it's worth iterating as you have done though. We we tend to talk in generalizations about things like this, so we say, well, you know, you can't really expect a coach to implement a system in X amount of time. But clearly, context context matters in this instance. And as you've said, like the question is, what is it that Jesse Marsh is attempting to achieve? And if that is simply right, where well, we play through the middle rather than going out wide, that doesn't seem to me to be a, like a hugely t- tactically taxing concept. To be like, right, if you have the option of going out wide, you just don't do it as a player. You're, we're going to try and go through the middle. These are the the routes that we're going to play. And I don't think it's a particularly complex system. I think you can argue that the off-ball stuff is complex and is hard to get around and that will take time. But in terms of like, for me, a lot of the, the stuff that I see is that the players taking easy options in terms of like build-up play. When if you watch Red Bull system teams play, it's always this concept of you get the ball to the centre-backs generally and you're trying to get them to fashion a situation where you can play the ball up back and through so up to one of the tens they drop it back into the pivots the pivots can either drive or they can play it through to one of the other tens uh, and then you're and then you're in that central attacking space you've got the opposition running backwards and you're able to attack the space as i've mentioned between the two center backs and the two center midfielders that doesn't seem to me to be a hugely like taxing concept um intellectually and i think that's it's not simply just about instilling the abilities to do that because that obviously is a big part of it but for, for me it does seem as though the, the system does break down at a point where the players are just like, well, let's just fall back on what we did before well and we knew what we know what we're doing. And and I guess that for me is the the big question. Like at what point do you does Jesse Marsh just have to say, We're playing this system and we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep trying this system even if it's not working because we can't simply just try the system until a point where we feel, oh well we've got twenty minutes left, let's just do what we know how to do better. Uh, and and for me that's kind of the that, the issue at this point. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, but every time we tried to play an up back and through yesterday, Southampton had that lane cut off, right? Because we we tried to do it quite a few times in the first half. I felt like. Um, and so I, I was sort of half wondering while you were talking, John, whether this might have looked different against not Ralph Hasenhutl, <laughs> whether that might have looked a bit. A bit di- but but I guess that again, that's the question that we answered in the coming weeks rather than rather than today. But I, d- I do think that's an interesting note of caution, just to sound that 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 if we hadn't have been playing someone so well versed in that system, that it might have looked a bit different and a bit more successful. Yeah, and I, I only say this because then once you're doing that, once you're attacking consistently through the middle, even if it is breaking down, you're still then able to at least attempt that counter press. Whereas the problem is, is that like the further away you get from the attacking blueprint, the further away you are from the, from the pressing blueprint. And it, that's kind of for me why it breaks down because you then end up in this system where you're like, what's the point? What's the point of, what's the point of bringing in a manager to play a certain way if he's just going to end up falling back on the way that we were doing things before? It's got to be, there's got to be some point at which we, we just say, right, it's going to be painful, but we're going to have to just go for this tactic. Yeah, but it almost feels like kind of what we've done is gone just not man marking at the moment and kind of just to move away from that is, is enough for now. Um, is, it feels almost like what the club's decided. No, that's a good point, Darren. And I was just going to say, like you, you kind of touched on it, but we're kind of just doing everything we can to stay up at this point. So it maybe doesn't have to be the perfect iteration of it. And next season's might be a more perfect iteration. So for now, it's every point matters. And if we do fall into some Bielsa-isms, then that's fine. Just just until the end of the season, if that gets us out of trouble, if Rafinha cuts the ball back enough times, then we might actually score enough goals. So that that might be what he's he's fine with for now. But I agree with you, John. Long term, we do need to commit to this properly, um, and not, none of this sort of hybrid stuff. For me, what's interesting here is like to what extent is the coach happy with this? As you you mentioned before, Adam, that's the question. Like we've gone from having a coach who will not accept anything other than what he deems okay 
to what feels now like a coach who's going to be much more on the on the sort of pally side of things with the players and he's going to be a lot more open and positive and probably open to the idea of them saying we don't like doing this so we'll do it a different way uh, and I'm just kind of interested in where that sort of breaks down at what point that gets because we saw it happen at RB Leipzig it felt to me like that, that he was so open with where he was at uh, in terms of the tactical side of things that when it didn't get work he was just like well I'm, it's just not working for us and we don't really know why it's not working and the players the players want to play a different way and stuff so it doesn't really suit me and I, I guess I'm kind of interested at like what point if that point is reached here like what do you where do you end up going if we if we get eight games into the season and he's like well we're still sort of playing this messy football which is a hybrid of two systems and the players sort of want it that way then then where do you go with that almost but maybe i'm just putting the cart before the horse on this one because um there's no there's no sense that this will actually happen but i'm i'm that's what i'm i'm just sort of interested in it from the point of view that we've had four seasons ish of a of a manager who's very much the opposite of that way and so it's it's sort of interesting to see it break down that way we should move on question 4 adam we've had um liam cooper and Calvin Phillips back after a long break. What did you make of them? Did you think that they made a difference? Yeah, Cooper's the one. I need to I need to eat my hat a little bit. Um before the game. I was even though Pascal's had a bit of a dip in form, I, I was really hoping he still started. And I can safely say I'll take that back now. Um Cooper was outstanding. He in terms of a defensive sense, he won almost every header and he, he was just sort of first to a lot of things and he was digging out his uh, centre-back partner very often. So in that sense, I was really pleased with him. But on the watch back, I decided to watch more of his ball retention and progression stuff to see exactly what sort of happened with that. And I think that could have been better. That's probably my only slight qualm with him. I, he didn't look rusty in a defensive sense, but on the ball, he was hitting channels without actually hitting sort of those tens or those strikers. He was just sort of hitting it into a rough area and Llorente did the same and it didn't always work and the ball was just coming back quite a lot. And that might have just been because of Southampton and, and the way they're set up, but it also might have just been that that was maybe the part of the, the Cooper's game that was a bit rusty. Um, but Phillips, yeah, um, obviously didn't expect him to start. I think out of the two, I, I expected Cooper to start more. Um, those intangibles like leadership and whatnot. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Phillips, he came on. I think he played kind of within, within himself a little bit. Um, he's a little bit safe. There was there was one good pass that he played to Ailing that I can remember, but otherwise he was more of a defensive presence. And, and we've kind of noted that he dropped into the back line a lot and did quite a lot of the, the Bielsa stuff in the pivot role rather than look to really progress the ball in the way that Forshaw and Click were doing. And I don't actually think he was any better there than those two, but he is obviously better in a sort of more physical and defensive sense. And it's something else I want to talk about a bit later. Darren, any thoughts on Cooper in particular, I think, because we're going to, I think we'll, we'll skip the last question because it covers a lot of what Adam wants to talk about in his bring a topic. Um, but if you, yeah, thoughts on Cooper would be good. I thought Cooper was, was yeah, really good. I mean, like I take Adam's point about him, like losing a lot of ball but you know like every single player on the team lost a lot of ball so I ain't gonna hold that I'm not gonna hold that against him um I thought he was he was defensively solid like like Adam said he did have to cover for Urente who seemed to have one of his increasingly frequent harebrained disaster days um so I thought that, that Cooper did cover around back uh round the back well for him um yeah, I, I think he defended well in, in the moments that he had to. There was that one scare, like that I mentioned earlier, where, where he was potentially caught out behind. And I think that's something that will, you know, always be a bit of an issue with Liam Cooper, that, that when he's got to run towards his own goal, he's always is that uh, against a player, there, there is always a chance that a mistake or a big foul or a red card could come. Um, but, you know, that's every player's got, got their faults and I, I don't hold, that against him I, I thought that that he was I thought that he was he was good and whether whether he was a significant improvement on Pascal I I honestly couldn't say um I thought but but um I thought you know I'm a, I'm a fan of Liam Cooper and I've got absolutely no problem with with seeing him back in the team and you know given that that he is the club captain then I think it's going to be one of those cases where maybe Pascal's going to have to wait his turn. I was a bit, I was a bit, I have to say, I was a little bit disappointed that like as soon as because we you know like Marsh talks about using younger players and and you know and whatever, but as soon as Cooper's fit, Cooper gets back in the team. But that's just the way it always has been, and and um, I thought his performance in and of itself was good, so I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I think Cooper was good. I also think that Cooper's performances are always his good performances are always like on the edge. 
So there's a few things yesterday where if he gets it wrong, then players are in behind. And, uh, you know, I think there's going to be situations where, where there will be problems that are caused by Cooper and we'll hear the same old, oh, well, League One Liam stuff. Like we, we've mentioned already, the Armando Broger just sort of getting around him by, by pulling him forward and then turning him back. Um, I think we were lucky to get away with a, a yellow card at that point, to be honest. But but Taylor felt that we, we should play on. There's a few other things like some great interceptions when the ball's crossing, flashing across the box, um, which he cuts out. And again, you know, if you get that wrong and, and, and you lead to big problems. And then a couple of balls in wide areas where he slides in and cuts it out. Um, and yeah, like he did everything right pretty much yesterday. Um, but I just, I, and it's not to, it's not really to pull him down. It's just to say that I do think that this, this against better teams, he's going to be put under more of those situations. And I just, I just think that it's, people need to be aware that, that, that like that's, that's what, that's the sort of gamble that you play with someone like Liam Cooper is that in these games, he'll be absolutely flawless, but the next game, it might be completely different. Um, so yeah, prepare yourselves to, to, to not just, base your opinions on him on the fact that he was successful in what he did if that makes sense right but that's the risk with proactive defenders like that isn't it the ones that play on the front foot is that they're, that they're going to get caught out sometimes and look stupid right and, that, and that's why that's that's also why I always have a bit of a problem when you play Urente and Cooper together is because they're both capable of, of that sort of mistake because of the proactive nature of their defending so I'd much rather have one of Pascal and Cock and one of Urente and Cooper playing together because I think that gives you a better mixture of profiles. But but as it is, as it is, you know, we we got what we got. I also think that they maybe targeted Urente a little bit more over the top. Well, you would. Um, it felt <laughs> it felt to me. Yeah. Well, of course. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Anyway, enough of the interrogation. Let's move over to the bring a topic section. So this is the section where you two bring a topic for us to discuss. Let's kick off with you, Adam, just because it follows on from the, the the Calvin Phillips stuff. So, what did you want to talk about? Yeah, I wanted to talk like because Click and Borshaw yesterday, they're quite similar in in that pivot role. They they play it in a, a similarish way, and I thought they were really good in the first half, particularly, and and they were snapping into things when the ball was lost, and they were progressing the ball nicely where you wanted it to be progressed. But Phillips. Like I said, he kind of played within himself a little bit. And maybe it's just he's coming back from a long injury and he doesn't want to risk anything. But I also just wanted to touch on how important is a profile like his uh, as sort of a more physical defensive presence? Like, is there scope for him to play next to a more progressive player next season? Or, or do you really kind of want both players in that role to be really good progressors with the ball? Um, or not that really good, but just, just to be able to sort of carry it out if the ball could, does come back from the tens or have the ability to play a, a really good pass into another one of the tens. Um, and it doesn't feel like that's Calvin's sort of main strength in his game. His main strength is his defensive like discipline and his positioning and how physically strong he is and, and the way he can bully players in that sense. I feel like um, the, the Bielsa defensive system quite often relied on individual defensive skill, right? So quite often you would see Calvin have to do something outstanding defensively because he'd been isolated against a player or because he needed to cover a lot of ground and he need, or something like along those lines but I do I feel like because because Marsh doesn't commit as many players to attack that our defensive solidity is more based on the numbers that we've got around the ball more frequently which means that individual defensive attributes probably become less important and and therefore you've got to ask yourself like who then what do you need from your players and I suppose what you need is is probably yeah that a little bit more 
solidity in terms of on the ball because I think sometimes, like I've said before, Calvin's first touch in tight areas can be a little bit off or he can be sometimes caught on his heels and, and that can cause us a bit of a problem. Um, and and for me, I, I, I guess I enjoyed the variety that you get when you play Click and Forshaw together in that or players of that profile anyway, not necessarily those two individually, because I think I think that that gives you chance to kind of build out in a in a more structured way and or or in a more um, in a more dynamic way, and and I I don't always feel like perhaps Calvin is going to be the player that's going to lend itself to that, and also you don't need his his key attribute as much. So I think it's a bit of an interesting question. Um, and and I'm not someone who you know has ever been particularly critical of Calvin, and this isn't isn't me being critical of Calvin. This is me just looking at the profile of him as a player and going, well, actually, is that the profile you need in this team in that position at the moment, or you know, is it more about something else, something about more dynamic, about being able to kind of move the ball more quickly uh, and, and, and in tighter areas, which you would have to say Forshaw and Click are probably both better at. So I think I think for me it's about there are more questions and answers right now about what Calvin's place in this team is going forward. Um, but I do think it's an interesting thing to, to raise. I think it's worth talking about what we mean when we say single and double pivots yeah. as well. Because when we say pivots, what, we, what we're meaning is the, 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 the player that we're going to use in the build-up or the players that we're going to use in the build-up in a specific way. And in Bielsa's system, we always use a single pivot pretty much. Now, you can have it so that a player is swaps, the, the, the single pivot is swapping. So if you've got maybe two central midfielders, one of them can drop in uh, and, and help out with the build-up between the back four and then vice versa. Um, but it's very much a single pivot build-up si- system. And that and that and the idea behind that is that you have just an extra person able to help the ball move around. And in the Elsa system, you want to build the ball out from the back, up in the wide areas, and then maybe help with a one-two to keep the ball moving down the, the channel. In this system, as we've already talked about today, the build-up system is actually that you, you don't try and build up from the back anyway like you'll pass the ball around the back because you're looking for an incisive pass into the middle uh, for this up back and through uh, approach that we talk about and in that respect in terms of the build-up in those deeper areas the pivots aren't really that important the the pivot is there really to be yeah okay there's going to be the option occasionally if you're trying to keep the ball but you're not really trying to keep the ball you're trying to get the ball up through to one of the tens and then one of the tens are going to play it back to the pivot who's then going to pick the ball up and drive or pass so you're 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 needing a player i think who has the ability to do both of those things fairly well um when it comes to the defensive side of things as darren said you then because we're playing a system where we actually have a, a fairly solid back four and then you have two pivots in front of it this defensive the defensive issues are always going to be in wide areas because everyone's if you're playing like a 4222 Everyone's in the middle. The spaces are in the wide areas. So the players that we're seeing, that like where, where with Bielsa, it was through the middle. And the reason why Calvin was so good was because he's a good defensive destroyer in the middle and can he's mobile and he can help break up opposition attacks. We've now gone from that system to a system where the, the middle actually isn't exactly an issue. So like yesterday, did we feel? Did anyone feel as though we were vulnerable in the middle? No, we felt vulnerable in wide areas. We felt vulnerable through the through the fullback spaces. So just to reiterate what Darren's saying, like in in, bo- in both of those senses, you're 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 losing the upside of, of Phillips. Like I don't think F- Phillips is good playing a single pivot because it can you can sort of get him in a deeper situation on the ball and to do long passing, which is uncontested. That's his his thing. This system is about a, a getting pivot players who are good press resi- press resistant, good passers, good carriers, which I don't think is his skill set. And then in terms of the defensive side of this game, as as Darren said, okay, yeah, he'll be fine at the at the pressing and the counter pressing stuff, but you're not needing him to do that individual um firefighting in big open spaces move around and pick the ball up and slow opposition attacks it's just not what he's going to be able to do so um i did did want to push this sort of back on on you guys as well and just sort of ask the question that i had with with question five that we didn't actually ask in the interrogation but i think people are thinking well you know you need to have a more attacking pivot and then a more defensive pivot whereas what i've seen from a lot of what we've done it feels as though you have two players who play the same profile on either side um the, the Leicester game is a good example of that. Maybe that's just against a 4-3-3 where they had two eights who they were trying to get the ball to in their build-up. 
get get behind our attacking our pressing line of four and then you've got the two pivots and it felt as though click is on one side Forshaw's on the other if the ball goes right then click goes for it if the ball goes left then Forshaw goes for it so I don't know if either of you have any thoughts on whether or not we we really do need to think about those pivot players in one being more defensive one being more attacking or not I think it's more when we've when we've got when we've got the ball really that that you probably do need one of them to move into a more advanced space and yesterday more often than not it would be click that would be doing that um but I, th- I think, yeah, in terms of defensively, like quite often you'll, you'll, like you said, you'll find you'll find the double pivot picking up the um, the nearest midfielder on almost man to man, and the, both both players need to be disciplined enough to to do that, and and you know by and large that's that's what you've seen both of our players doing. So I think I think yeah, it probably does lend itself to two similar two more similar players than you would necessarily have expected than the midfield profiles under Bielsa to be built up around. I'm just hoping that there is a place for Calvin more than anything. I I really want it to be able to work and I hope that maybe there is scope to have a player next to him who is more progressive with the ball but also more press resistant than him. The problem then becomes that will opposition teams then target um, sort of that one player more than they will Phillips because they know that they're going to be more progressive with the ball. Um, So that becomes the question for me then. But if you have two similar profiles, then you kind of have the option with both, which is what we've got at the moment with Fortune on click. So it does feel like that's the best balance to have two of them rather than one and then a slightly less sort of progressive, more defensive player. But they're not going to target a player who's in a central area in 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 this system, are they? Realistically, I mean, you might you might you might want to get like an individual player on the ball, like Coutinho in a central area, who's going to cause problems, like for example. But but like it's obvious to me where where the weaknesses in our system are, and it's not like targeting a central player. I just don't think is going to be a thing that you see many many oppositions do. Right in a move that will come as no surprise to anyone, Darren wants to do some. Talking about Ilan Melier. Yeah, um, I just wanted to get your take on on the goal, really, because I've seen a lot of people saying that Melier's positioning, or that his hand strength, or his spring, or his <laughs> movement across the goal, or some other thing was was off. And um, I just wanted to, yeah, before before I say what I think, which probably you can almost write word for word without <laughs> me saying it, um, I just wanted to get your, your the, the the sense of you too. And and like honestly, I don't like being the guy that just comes on to talk about defending goalkeepers, right? I don't like being that guy. It feels like it's me and you, Darren. So we both both got it today. Okay, good. Right, Adam, over to you, brother. <laughs> Okay, so you, I'll dissect that down a little bit more. Um, you mentioned his positioning. To say that he's badly positioned is a nonsense. If he if he takes another step to his right, uh, then that leaves the left side more exposed, and Ward Prowse might actually choose a different type of free kick and go on his his side. And you mentioned yesterday if the goalkeeper's beat on his side, that's a problem. But if he's not, and it's beaten on the sort of wall side, that's fine. And I agree with that. So I don't I don't think that's true at all. I think it's a complete nonsense. I think his positioning is absolutely fine. I think the one area, and John and me dissected this last night, is maybe his footwork just before he springs. If he doesn't take another little step, he may be able to spring a little bit better to get over to it. I still don't know if he saves it, but he maybe gives himself a little bit more chance. But that is my only slight criticism because there's no weakness in his wrists. It's just a very well-struck free kick that's Ward Prowse's sort of you know, is his is his forte now. Like He is known for being one of the best in the world, if not the best. And even if Melier gets a fingertip on it, it's probably going to go in because he's just hit it that hard, that true and in the right area that if he saves it, it's a worldy save. And I just didn't really think that he was going to get there to do that unless, like I said, maybe his his footwork was slightly better. But even then, I don't think he does. I think it still probably just about goes in. I feel like every week... I come on this podcast and say I'm unwilling to talk about goalkeeping because <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, and Darren drags me kicking Sorry. and screaming back to the topic of goalkeeping. I, I, I do. Um, yeah, we did. We talked a little bit about the footwork yesterday. It feels to me like he takes a couple of steps across when he could take one, but I don't know. I don't know what goalkeepers are supposed <laughs> to do. It may be the case that goalkeepers are supposed to take two steps there rather than one. He's got, his footwork looks absolutely fine to me. He's shuffling across the goal. He's trying to cut the space. He's trying to preempt the shot. Yet two little springs, springs off his right foot. There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with his footwork. Okay, there you go. So yeah. Good. So yeah, uh, and I just, I just, I guess the only reason I wanted to raise it is because I just wanted to reiterate the point that not every goal that goes in is a goalkeeper's fault. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes someone hits a great shot, and it's in the right spot, 
and the keeper can't really do anything about it. And actually, I posted in our group chat earlier, there's a there's a great selection of James Ward-Prowse doing this to all sorts of goalkeepers, all of whom take up the same position as Melier, hardly any of whom even get anything on the ball. So I, ju- I just think like it's, it's, a non, it's a non-issue and this kind of um, scapegoat thing that, 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 we've, that we've got as fans is really unhelpful and, um, you know, sometimes free kicks are just really good and go in the top corner and that's all you can say about it. No, I completely agree. And I also wanted to say that Melier actually had a pretty good game yesterday. You know, the Adams shot that he saved was a really particularly good save. There was another one in the second half as well. I can't remember who it was, but he made a couple of really good ones. So I'm I'm not going to hold against him a free kick that was really well struck from the best free kick taker in the world. John, I promise next time we're on a review podcast, I won't <laughs> raise goalkeeping as an issue. I don't believe you, Darren. I absolutely don't believe you. But yeah, let's just agree. It was Dan James's fault, the goal. So. <laughs> Right, let's move on to the listener questions. I, re- I realise that time has flown, uh, so let's go through these as quick as possible. So try and keep your answers short. Um, question one from Andy Pandy. Why do we look like we've never played before when we go ahead? Why are they unable to play with the ball and just hoof and slice the ball no further than 15 yards to the opposition every time instead of bringing it down and passing defeat? Adam? We've kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, I think it's hard to say. If Marsh has asked them to drop off slightly uh, around the 30-minute mark, I, I couldn't really tell whether that was something he'd asked the players to do or whether they grew into the game. But obviously, the with the regards to like the hoofing it or, or passing it 15, 20 yards up the pitch, like we've said, that up and through thing is what we're going to do. So, um, yeah, we're going to see that more often. We ain't going to be taking the sting out of games by keeping possession anymore. Um, and we weren't keeping possession particularly well before we scored. So I don't know why people would expect that to be the case afterwards. And that's not a criticism of Andy. That's just that's just the way that the game goes. Um, yeah, we, we, we're looking to go direct and quick and more, more so than ever. And, and that's what you saw. There were a lot of people expecting us to play like an elite side and play out from the back. That's just not what we're going to do anymore. And, and people need to get used to that. Question two from Cameron Pride. Rodrigo is transformed under Marsh. Why, Darren? We're getting him on the ball in areas where he's comfortable and where he likes to play much more than we ever did. That, that's it. That's it. Yeah, and there's a little bit less of an impact of him pressing, I think. So yeah. because we're not doing man man to man, I think his his mm-hmm. pressing isn't his pressing mistakes aren't as obvious um, when when you can't say he should have been pressing that guy uh, as well. Yeah, because it's covered by a unit, and now you know the the unit is moving as a unit rather than him individually. Anything to add, Adam? It definitely suits him more, and I think as a sort of striker in a two, dropping in definitely also suits him more. He's, that's where his best football's been throughout his career. Really, I thought he was man of the match yesterday. He, he, there were some shades of Pablo with some of his passing, and um, I noticed that the XT for us, the expected threat, was higher than the XG. Um, so I was just wondering how much of that was Rodrigo's and then I saw this morning Martin's thing about how much XA um Rodrigo put up and I think it was like 0.3 0.4 which is pretty good actually um so yeah I was I was really impressed with him and actually the attacks were breaking down mainly through Dan James weren't they when we had threatening positions not Rodrigo he was making more of them than than not and this this up back and through style of play is going to suit him because he is very much a the back player right so um expect to see more of that one final question. Well, two final questions, I guess. Um, one from good friend of the podcast, our biggest stand, Richard Lang, uh, father of Noah. Uh, keen to understand why consecutive coaches prefer to start Diego over Robin at right centre-back. And then Luke Williamson to follow that up. How do we think Marsh will handle the centre-back rotation with everyone help- healthy? I just jinxed us, didn't I? So, yeah, Darren, thoughts on centre-backs? <sighs> Yeah, I don't know the answer to this one really. I, I guess all I can Im- all I can imagine is that that um, Urente's long long passing is the thing which continues to persuade people. Now, not that his long passing has been particularly good since Marsh came in. Maybe he just likes really proactive central defenders. Maybe, maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe he likes proactive. Maybe he likes the fact that that Urente is is willing to go direct and long and and can hit a direct ball reasonably well um but but honestly i i i struggle to struggle to understand so i'm probably not the best person to ask about this and basically i think he'll just manage the center backs in the same way that bielsa did so whoever's got the shirt will have the shirt until someone gets injured and then the next next cab on the rank 
will will step up. I, I don't think there's any anything more complex than that. Um, I just hope I do hope that Robin Cock does get an opportunity at centre at right centre back at some point because um, I, I think that his his backwards defending and I think his ability to cover in behind particularly players in the wide particularly where he covered his right back when he first came into the team at the start of last season would be quite helpful in a system where uh, fullbacks are often left exposed. It's funny isn't it because I think like a lot of people complained about Bielsa's intransigentness but I feel like we're <laughs> like yesterday in the by the end we're basically playing exactly the sort of team albeit in a different structure that Bielsa would pick. You've still got Dan James on the team. You've got Jack Harrison. You've got Rafinha. You've got Rodrigo. You've got a back four is the same. And then, okay, we go from a double pivot of, of foreshore and click, which is maybe a bit different from what we'd see from Bielsa. That feels like the only real change that we've seen. But then Calvin Phillips ends the game there as well. So it, it, it is funny that that he is just fairly happy to keep the, the players in that, that Bielsa had in, right? Yeah, it's, it's funny uh, if, if that is the sort of thing that amuses you. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, centre-backs. Yeah, I, I don't really know either. I'm with Darren. I think maybe the distribution thing is is part of it, but as well, um, maybe the sort of hands-on nature of Urente, he does like quite physical centre-backs, does Marsh, and that's been something quite evident at his time at Leipzig, so possibly that's a reason as well. As for Luke's question, yeah, you've definitely jinxed it. We're definitely going to get three injuries to centre-backs now, so thanks for that. But um, also, uh, with regards to rotation, Cock can play in other roles, so there's obviously the scope for him to play as a holding midfielder as well. So they, they should all get enough game time, but it might just be one of those, like Darren said, where unless they get sort of a red card or they get injured, that they keep the shirt for now. So it might just be that we see Cooper and Urense against Watford, and I kind of expect him to. Well, before we close, let's just do a quick game preview. So we have Watford next weekend. Um, Obviously, Watford are, are, I suppose, it's a big game, really, um, thinking about it. But Watford are in the relegation zone. They've just lost to Liverpool. Apparently, they were quite good in that game. I didn't watch it. haven't watched it yet. I will do. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to ask you guys the question that I ask every week. So what is it that you're looking forward to about the game? Or what is it that you're looking out for in that game? What are the things that are percolating around in your head? So, Darren? Oh, just get the points and get out of Watford. Like I, I, <laughs> like, I wish I had something more interesting to say than that. I think I think Watford will cause us a lot of problems, and it's not something I'm looking forward to, but I think it's like they did cause Liverpool a lot of problems yesterday with, with some fairly direct direct play, and I, and I anticipate... I, I didn't see all of the game, but I, I saw up until Liverpool uh, either went ahead or scored their second, I can't remember, but... Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I think they will cause us a lot of problems because they're they're kind of quite direct and quite strong in the way that they they attack now. So um, I don't think it's going to be a comfortable game. And um, yeah, I, I just just really hope that we can come away with the three points and then sort of call the season done. Really, that that'd suit me just fine. The thing I'm looking forward to is the potential to win to secure safety, so please don't mess it up, Leeds. I think if we do, we're pretty much there. We definitely kill off Watford from catching us, so it's maybe just Burnley or Everton to look out for then. Um, the thing I'm not looking forward to, or, or the sort of thing I'm looking to in the game that could be a difference is Watford's two best players are probably Dennis and Saar, which are their two wingers, and our fullbacks aren't exactly the fastest and also they get exposed quite often in this system so I'm not looking forward to them getting in behind us a lot in that area that's what I'm expecting to happen um, and that's where we may lose the game if we do lose the game but hopefully we do win and we, we don't lead it up and if you are interested in knowing more about the ins and outs of that game we do a full preview podcast on Patreon for our patrons and as I've already mentioned we do do the video reviews which will be going out this week one from Josh on a player focus and I've said he's going to be doing Liam Cooper and and then I'll be doing something tactical I haven't decided what I'm going to be doing yet but and I'm open to suggestions but probably something between maybe looking at the double pivot um, as a as a role or maybe looking at some of the counter pressing that we've been doing and see where we could improve in that one if any of that sounds interesting to you www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and with that we arrive at the end of the podcast all there is for me to do is to say thank you Darren thank you thank you Adam thank you very much John and thank you guys for listening. We'll see you soon.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 